Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Christopher Huffpower. I'm coming to you today from my studio here in Alvin, Texas, and we are going to do another Meet the, Ep- Meet the Experts episode. Now today, I am really lucky to have join me in the studio, or remotely, Sean Hall. Now Sean is the co-founder and one of the owners of Sodium Dental. I don't know about you guys, they saved me a ton of money in the past, and I got to meet Sean one day. Now, Sean, we were over at um, we were over at the Maverick Dental Summit over in uh, in, in um, goodness, San Antonio, right? Austin. It was Austin. in Austin. Okay, and uh, you had the coolest suit in the room. This cat knows how to dress. I'm telling you. And I went up to him and I said, "Man, I don't know who you are, but that suit's awesome. Where'd you get it?" And we just started chatting. It turns out. Uh, you, do you want to tell him about this suit? I mean, the thing was pretty spectacular. Well, you know, it, it is. Uh it's like a shiny burgundy suit, which uh, as I was picking out the fabrics for the suit, like I have a lady in Chicago that makes suits for me. Uh, she's like, so you want to put all these together? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she's like, but you're sure, right? Cause you know, when you I have the suit. I, I was, you were, I, I don't get a chance to use this word very often, but you were quite dapper, sir. Quite well, dapper. I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I think at the time I, I looked at you and I said, where are the spats? Am I, am I remembering? <laughs> yeah, right? that's true. It's he true. needed a top hat and the, the guy was dressed to the nines. So anyway, I start talking to him and um, I said, so, okay, so, so what do you do? And he said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the owners of Sodium Dental. And that just was really exciting to me because I had just gotten a sensor repaired with them and they had saved me a few thousand dollars on it. And so I, I told him how much I loved his company and I think I flattered him enough that I convinced him to come onto the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> now, Sean, you know a lot more about um, dental technology than, than just uh, the, the x-ray sensors and, and repair. I'd like to kind of pull a thread out of you about where you got into this business, how you got there, where your whole tech background comes from. And I'm going to kind of turn things over to you for a little bit and just kind of interject some questions every now and then. So, Sean, uh, talk to us. How did you get into this gig? Uh, you know, uh, not to go back too far, so I'm only going to go back to when I was 12. Uh, it, around 1995, uh, just to date myself there, um, you know, computers were, you know, personal computers were just becoming a thing. Uh, you know, my mom's a postal worker, my dad's a, a millwright, and but they just like, they were like, hey, our, you know, he's really into electronics, you know, I'd built some radios and stuff. My dad repaired radios uh, um, back when he, he was enlisted during Vietnam. And uh, so, you know, he had electronics background a little bit. And uh, so anyway, got into computers, building the first computers. Obviously, what I used a computer for was to play uh, Duke Nukem 3D when it came out. Right. Uh, you know, um, you know, I had CompuServe internet, uh, you know, very excited about my first, you know, 14400 baud modem. And, and we talked about that, Sean. Do yeah. you remember whenever, um, whenever U.S. Robotics, what did they release? What is it, 2,600 or something like that or 1,200? Right. But really, it was a 5,600 baud, and you just had to quit, flip a couple of switches. Right, that? yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like they just they, they figured they could sell it at the speed it was at, right? But Absolutely. even though it was and faster. They, they downgraded it. Man, that was, yep. that was awful. 
So um, anyway, man, I come back from those days too. I actually graduated high school in 1993, if that tells you you're not dating yourself. You're, you're far too young to have graduated in 93. I don't, I don't. That's, that's the Grecian products. No. <laughs> so anyway, sorry to interrupt, but um, anyway, go back to your, you've got CompuServe or uh, you've got. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so just, you know, uh, building computer systems. I was always very excited by what could be done with computer systems. Um, you know, uh, went with that on through high school, you know, programming, uh, building my own computers, but also getting really involved in the application of computers. You know, like uh, I started building websites, you know, when uh, I was in high school and back then no one built a website because you needed to open up right. a notepad and you need to type out code. And there wasn't just a GoDaddy out there. Like you had to go build your own web server and, um, you know, getting into college, I went to Kettering University. It's an engineering school up in Flint, Michigan. Right. And as everybody knows, uh, Flint, Michigan is a beautiful town with a wealth of uh, culture and just wonderful things to do all the time. Um, no, you can't go outside in Flint, Michigan. It was very dangerous when we lived there, but that like helps you focus, right? So, um, well, you you actually mentioned something whenever we spoke before about a program before you went to college that really made a big difference in your life. And I thought it was really great that you gave that kind of credit to someone. Uh, oh. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about the Odyssey of the Mind. Yeah, Odyssey of the Mind, that's really interesting you bring it up. Uh, I, I, it's something I always gloss over, but when I think about it, it's uh, when it started in grade school, you literally, uh, you know, they were trying to, it was, it's like, you know, now we have like STEM and whatnot, but uh, back then they didn't really have programs like that. So Odyssey of the Mind was like, Okay, so kids that, uh, you know, have an interest in engineering and stuff like that, they had uh, these competitions and, you know, uh, I'm sure some people out there have done this and it's got a program of a different name, but you'd build like a balsa wood structure and make it hold so much weight or uh, we always did, we always competed in that, but we also like competing in the vehicle projects where you had to build a vehicle, it had to accomplish certain tasks. Usually we'd try and work some type of robotics into the arms and stuff, but, you know, just... Uh, getting involved in that at an early age, just the application of technology is because like the technology in and of itself, like I always thought was interesting, but staring at like the back plane of a circuit board is cool. But like what it can do is what's I think is interesting. Absolutely. So. Well, it's it, you're in, and you and I spoke for good God. We must've spoken for the entire event. Um, yeah. I, I just, I just thought you guys were so cool, but I'm a huge geek. So full disclosure, um, did you, uh, actually, did you actually have the concrete canoe building competition? We had, no, we, I thought that was super. We cool. never had the concrete canoe. Would a, loved it. I would have, I would have that. I was a, a, you know, Mythbusters fan here. I always loved the episode where they tried to build the concrete airplane. You know, oh, that was, uh, that sounds interesting. I haven't seen that yeah. one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's theoretically possible, right? But so um, the thing is, really, what you're getting at with all of these things is that you are a problem-solving kind of guy. You, right. the, the, the solutions are neat to you, but it's the problems that really, really get you going. You, you see something that's insurmountable, and you, you want to tackle it. You want to fix it. And I, I think that's probably what led you to be so successful. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that I, I think like puzzles are always really interesting, and uh, puzzles that can make you some money and give you a house to live in are really interesting puzzles. Um, you know, and, you know, so going from engineering school, uh, I worked, uh, 
I worked for Dana Corporation for a while while I was in engineering school as a part of the co-op program. Like you had to go find yourself a job, right? In your field to graduate. Like that's how co-op engineering schools work. And I worked for Dana Corporation for a while and uh, in, you know, a huge system. You're talking a thousand users all on the same network and at our one facility. But, uh, you know, it was interesting but also working for like this huge corporation like that was uh, uh, also, you know, it was a great opportunity, but unfortunately it was also really boring because yeah. uh, you were, you weren't really ever allowed to do anything. Like you so could you fix mean, things. You didn't like being a nameless numbered <laughs> clone wandering around between your cubicles. I, I was, I was more than that. I was an ice cube because uh, back then, like, so that was like the two thousand around 2003 and uh, computers, computers have gradually put out less and less heat, right? But right. the server room at Dana Corporation at our facility, uh, you know, had special floors in it for air to come up through mm-hmm. it and whatnot. The server room was like air conditioned and only me and one other person had a, had a key card to get in there. So I had to s- sit in there all day long. Um, and it's like 60 degrees in there. And I'm like, you know, it's like summer outside. I'm in there like in the, like a, wearing like a, a coat, I got gloves right. on by the, cause you're just sitting. So you're getting extra cold. Right. And, um, you know, it's just like, you know, I, it was like my only friends were servers, uh, which was cool at first. Did you, did you do the whole Wilson thing? Did you put a little smiley face and want to talk to you a lot? <laughs> no, I don't know. I didn't go the Tom Hanks route. I, uh, I dodged that bullet. Luckily. I mean, I still had the internet fortunately. Right. So, you know, I did have that going for me. Um, but you know, it was literally, it was a job where, as long as I kept everything running smoothly, I could have taken a three hour nap in the middle of the day and literally no one would know because no one could get into the room. <laughs> and like, I, not saying that's what I did, but I'm saying like that, you know, no one wants to be in a position where uh, almost like you feel, uh, you feel like whether or not you showed up to work that day only had a minor difference. Right. In, you know? in the case of the zombie apocalypse, you would be one of the bodies they never noticed was missing. <laughs> Right. I'd be the one that got the people 10 years later, right? Like they'd come in to steal like some old computer so they could like get their truck working or something. And I'd come out and eat one of the people that's made it through the show that long. I just actually had the most beautiful imagining. Do you remember in um, Quest for the Holy Grail, not Quest for the Holy Grail, but um, goodness, which one was it? No, it was was Holy Grail. Whenever they they meet the old knight. Yeah. Right. I, I just imagined you there surrounded by computers with the beard <laughs> down to your knees. <laughs> Sean, Sean, Sean Connery wanders in with a bullet wound or whatever is right. it's like, exactly. make the correct choice. Well, I thought you were going to, you were going to ask for Sean Connery to play you. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I think Sean Connery could still play a better looking me now me. than I could <laughs> right. by far. Um, he's, he's, like, he's aged well. Yeah. So, so, okay. Now I, I pulled you off track again. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you, you started working for these Fortune 500 companies and freezing your butt off in the server room, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it, that only lasted for so long. I, I believe it was at 2006, you finally said, you know, that's it. I am going to, I, I'm, I'm a bootstrap it. I'm going to go at it myself. Yeah, uh, well. Uh, what, what, what spurned that? What, what made you say, you know, I can do this and, and start your own company because we're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs here, a lot of startup people, right? Well, you know, I think everything, everything kind of happens almost mysteriously to a certain, like there's, there's constant effort and then there's also total accidents. So, you know, 2006, I graduated. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't required to work for a specific structured program anymore, right? right. I can go fail on my own. And uh, my first uh, 
the first thing I was doing was I was, I was just being like, I was your average IT guy. I'm out there, I'm fixing things. And it just so happened that one of, uh, someone who was close to me, their father was a dentist and he just, he's like, Sean, can you come in and fix the server? And I was like, I come in there and I'm looking at this dental software, which by the way, I've, I've been working with corporate softwares that are like huge, you know, Novell software and stuff. If you need a, if you need to look something up about it, there's a forum with 10,000 people right. on it that are knowledge base. There's a huge knowledge base, right? And I'm looking at an image FX database at this guy's office. And I'm just like, Oh, sir. I was like, I don't know what they're doing with this image database, but it looks like madness to me. And I was like, who sold this to you? So I got in touch with my very first boss in dental through that route. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, this is really interesting because all this software is different, which is, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if dentists themselves already recognize how kind of bizarre that is, right? Do you look, what's bizarre to me is that the, some of the first dental softwares and the best known ones were built on Delphi. Right. That blows my mind. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a story just for the nerds out there. You get that. Right. Yeah. I mean, does anyone, I mean, uh, basically most dental softwares run off of uh, like a Fox pro database. Like it's like, it's a bunch of Excel sheets stuck together in the background. With and, a little bit of scotch tape and some hope. <laughs> and the other thing, you know, I was, I was looking at this industry and I was like, well, look at all these products. It's like, n there's no Microsoft dental sensor, right? There's right. no Logitech intraoral camera. And I was like, how crazy is this? No and standards, no standards at all. <laughs> everything's, uh, you know, I started meeting people in the industry. I, I worked, I worked for a dental technology company from 2006 to 2011. Um, and then we parted ways and that's when me and Jake Shireline opened Sodium Dental. Um, and so for that time period, that's kind of where, you know, we got down the mud. We, we built servers, we sold intraoral cameras, we got digital x-ray sensors integrated. You know, I got to meet people like, uh, Dave Wilson, the owner of, uh, um, uh, DigiDoc and uh, I got to work, you know, SUNY Medical Imaging, they're out of business now, but I got to work at their booth and learn from uh, their vice president. And, uh, you know, I got to learn from a lot of very smart people in the industry. My, my boss, uh, you know, um, he's, his sales knowledge was amazing. But what, what I figured out though, being out there was almost everybody I met was a salesperson. Right. Even, you know, as I tried to figure out like manufacturers and stuff in dental, I was like, these are sales companies. Like they're, I was like, when I one time tried to figure out, I was like, like who makes a Dexas sensor? Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, you know, I like, I've got one, I've got it apart. People who make the Dentrix sensor. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I figured it out. I was like, wow. I don't think anyone makes anything. I'm like, you know, it's a, so it was just, you know, that was me and Jake. We got, we got into, we started sodium dental and uh, you know, our, we repaired a sensor for you, but you know, I mean, not in 2011, but I mean um, you know, even repairing sensors that, you know, our, you know what our, our product that we thought was going to be the, like the train sodium dental was going to be hooked to was okay. we, uh, we started this product called Smile Cinema. Okay. And back, it, well, we didn't know broadband was going to get so fast, so quick. So back then, doctors were still using, uh, what's, that, uh, what's that product where like, it would like play media like through your, like you would like hook up this server to your cable 
and then you got one cable channel that you could play like continuing kind of education like, on. Like Muzak, but with video. Right, but it was, it was specifically dental video. And man, it's so funny. I can't remember this because DS back TV, then. Maybe VDS TV. I know that's a modern one. No, no, no. This one was like, I mean, these things were going for $10,000, $12,000 for the servers. And they were basically patient education videos, right? But they didn't offer any entertainment videos. So, um, and we knew back then people didn't have the broadband to like have Netflix on every computer, right? right? So we went out and I found the movie licensing house that would allow us to be to buy a public license for every dental office we sold our Smile Cinema server to. And then all they had to do was buy copies of movies, we would digitize them, and then they could play them for their uh, patients. Kind of like they were their own movie theater. Later on, after, after we're off the air, I'll talk to you a little bit about what I used to do with Dropbox, uh, with, uh, oh gosh, Blockbuster and Netflix when they first came out, and my automated server that may or may not have been ripping off um, copies of DVDs. <laughs> yeah, let's keep, let's keep that. Let's keep that off the air. Yeah. Theoretically. So anyway, that's, that's, that sounds actually very similar to something I built for my home. But, so I know exactly what you're talking about there. Um, and yeah, before broadband, that would have been amazing. Right. How much, how much were you guys charging for this thing? Uh, you know, it was like, uh, cause the license that we, so we had to buy this license for every office and the license itself was like 1200 bucks. So, and other than that, it was software on a, a computer. So, you know, we were charging like five grand for it. We sold like three and then Netflix became so prevalent. And even though it's not legal to play Netflix in your office, that didn't stop anybody. It is legal to play some things, but some Netflix, things. not one yeah. of them because you cannot right. send them a license for Netflix, people. Right. You're advocating that illegal operation. <laughs> right. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Right. So immediately that product just became basically irrelevant. And, um, and the funny thing is, is sensor repair was something... I, I literally, we just had a friend who was a dentist. He had like five Kodak sensors in a drawer that were all broken. And I was right. like, what are, what are you doing with all these? And he's just like, yeah, they don't cover any of this under warranties. Like, so I just keep them in hope that one day there'll be a sale where I can like trade them in for something. And I was like, I was like, you know, why don't we fix we can, it? It's like, we could design a process to fix this. I was like, absolutely. And so, you know, we did. And, uh, then like it, after that, it was just like kind of like an organic explosion. And then we were able to really focus on OEMing parts to make the repair as perfect as possible. And, and then, and you know. When are you going to launch your, um, your Nomad Pro battery repair program? <laughs> uh, about a week and a half before the lawsuit from Nomad, I assume. Uh, you know, that's like. It, it's I stupid. agree. They don't use the old DeWalt. Do you remember that whenever Nomad first came out, they used a DeWalt battery pack for an 18 volt DeWalt, and you could just go buy them. They caught on to the fact they were losing a lot of money with that real quick. I think that's planned obsolescence, my friend. Oh, it, it absolutely. I, I can tell you, you know, it, it, Nomad is an interesting story in and of itself. So you'll notice that I, I don't really mention the company I work for right before I started this company. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I they're a great company. I don't. I just, you know, it's not like I don't want to. I don't want to out them as the company that like I used to work for and then I quit and I started my own company. Right. So, but anyway, when I worked there, um, we were out of Indiana and we sold Nomad. We had a distributor agreement with them and 
Um, you know, this is probably like 2007, eight. And, you know, we sold quite a few nomads. I mean, uh, my, my old boss was, he was just a, he was, a, he knew a lot about the technology. He wasn't like a big, he wasn't like a technology geek, but he right. really understood technology. And he also really understood like which of his clients would benefit from what technologies. And he put a lot of effort into making sure like when they bought a product, like they benefited from it. You know what I'm saying? So, so he, we sold quite in, you know, using that instruction, like we sold quite a few nomads because some of our dentists like would just really benefit from a portable two pad. You know, their practices really needed that. And I remember one day I'm, a sit, I'm sitting in the office. I went to order a Nomad for a customer. You know, so I'm calling in because, you, you know, it's not like you don't stock this stuff, right? You call the manufacturer and you order them piece by piece usually. Um, and I call up and they're like, uh, we can't sell you one. And I'm like, wait, what? I was like, kind of already sold one. I was like, can, can you sell me at least this one? And they're like, nope. And I was like, well, why? What happened? And basically what had happened is they had, uh, you know, I mean, uh, they had signed a distributor agreement and I was like, yeah, but why can't you sell to us still? Like, right. And they're like, well, uh, part of our agreement is that we won't sell to any non tier three dental suppliers. So I was like, what's your name specifically came up. <laughs> I was like, well, I asked them, I was like, I was like, what's a tier. I was like, send me over the white paper. What's a tier three dental supplier. And I was like, you know, you send, send me over the specs. I was like, because I bet in our state we have as many customers or uh, we have as many techs as, I mean, Patterson only had two technology techs in Indiana, right, at the time. So it's like, I was like, you know, we got eight guys here. I'm like, I'm sure we can help, you know, we, we can meet your numbers for our state at least. And he's like, okay, you know, there's no paper. He's like, you're not Benko Shiner Patterson, so therefore – right, you're not a tier three. And I was like, okay, well, so is that what the white paper says? Are you one of these three people? Right. No. Well, unfortunately. <laughs> it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, not yeah, I that don't. there's any collusion taking place. But Henry Schein, did you uh, see, was recently cleared. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what, uh, you know, I don't know what you need to cut out later of what I might say here. But um, <laughs> you can talk about all that later off camera where I right. Um But yeah, so officially, Henry Schein has been found to be. Um, not chargeable, I believe is what it was. Not, not, yeah. guilty, not chargeable. All right. There wasn't, uh, I can't remember the exact wording in that release. I read it. Um, but it sounded to me like they, like enough evidence had been destroyed. I mean, um, <laughs> not found like they couldn't find enough evidence to find them guilty, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, Henry Shine's not going to be, um, listening to my podcast. I hope, <laughs> well, maybe they do. I uh, I, don't know. I mean, I, I mean, hey, you know, it is, it, you know, it's, it's a reality, you know, because that, that whole suit, you know, the civil suit was one thing. This is what, you know, what you're referring to right now is the actual criminal prosecution. And, you know, I mean, pri this, it's funny because this is just price fixing, talking about them agreeing not to give discounts yeah. to group. Tier uh, three, right? Yeah, to group dental practices. And you know, for me, the, the bigger crime is that, you know, dentists don't even know the products that they'll never have offered to them because uh, 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 the number of distributors that I've sold in the past that I can no longer sell anymore because what happens is, you know, so uh, let's, let's call him Robertson. Uh, Robertson comes knocking on the door 
And they're like, hey, uh, we've got, we control 40% of the dental market. If we sell your product, it's going to work. But if we actively sell against your product, you're never going to sell your product, right? And they, you know, they basically can just do that. And then what happens is that manufacturer kind of gullibly is like, okay, we'll sign this arrangement. But right. the thing is, they then then this, the distributors, they, sell them. they never sell them. It's like, it's sensor number 11 on the list of sensors they're not going to sell. Um, I've, I've stood at a booth before for a dental company, for a manufacturer, and had, uh, had someone come over to me and they were like, oh, you guys, this is a great price on these sensors. You know, this is like 6,200 or whatever this company right. was selling them for at the time. Kind of one of their lower cost sensor manufacturers, right? And, and then the doctor's just like, he's like, but he's like, I was told that this sensor isn't safe. And I was like, now we're getting into the second half of things I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> oh, well, did I jump ahead here? I'm sorry. No, did no, I? that's good okay. because it's actually a really great transition. Uh, so, and, and, and I get what you're talking about. It, a lot of the scuttlebutt, you know, they say that uh, a truth is just a lie that's been repeated often enough that people believe it. Right. So a lot of the scuttlebutt that's out there is utter bullshit. You know, a lot of these, and I've seen specifically, we were speaking about Nomad earlier, and um, there is another um, x-ray head out there. And I'm not going to say that Nomad is behind this. I, I don't believe they are. I believe it's just an independent rep type thing. But um, all of those new units are being said to be unsafe and they're not certified to sell in the United States. And you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's a big thing, right? Take on that because I know you know that side of the business, and that's one of the reasons I wanted you on as an expert. So, let's let's talk shop about that. Um, first of all, what is the first thing you want to cover? Um, do you want to cover X-ray sources? Do you want to cover X-ray sensors? Do you want to cover intraoral cameras? I think X-ray sources is a great field. Um, you know, uh, I first of all, yeah, some some portable tube heads didn't have an FDA number. Okay. That's true. You know, uh, okay. So, you know, here's the thing, dental product, if it's a medical device, it, so whether it's an intraoral camera, if, if it goes, if it goes in the oral cavity and, or is a part of the diagnostic process, it's a medical device. Right. So our Aurora sensor, we had to take through the FDA, right? And, uh, there's different classes of medical devices. So like a sensor holder is like a class one device. So it just has to, well, actually that's arguable, but you can argue either way because it's not, they don't like give a list of products that fit into different classes. Like you have the product and then you have to guess what the FDA considers. What is, it. What is your broad class? Let's talk about that. What classes of categories are there? And so you got, you got like a class one device and that's just like, eh, you know, like it, it, they don't have to file like a 510K and stuff like that. They basically just, they agree to meet certain safety standards kind of deal. We're a you know, dental sensors fall into class two where a lot of these devices fall into, which means you, you have to submit through the FDA. They check your product for safety. This is uh, not to electrocute patients or, right. or transfer disease. Right. And, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, just, and more, a lot of it has more to do with your inventory system at your office. Like uh, there's things like ISO 13485 standards and whatnot that you have to be in compliance with. I mean, it, it just basically means we had to spend a few hundred thousand dollars with a consulting company. Um, but the, and then class threes, uh, I believe the class threes is where I get a little confused. I think class threes have to do with permanent changes to the body. Well, sleep, sleep appliance, um, 
apparatuses, apparati. Yeah. Those are actually uh, class three devices. Really? I believe implants are class four or are they class three? Because there's like, I, there's some subcategories too, aren't there? Right. Absolutely. Like a class yeah, three E or something like that is implantable or I, I don't know. I, I know that there are subcategories, but that's kind of what I was trying to fish out with you because I knew you'd just gone through this process with your, your new sensor. Right. And so we fall in class two and I would say, so uh, I think the portable two pads, I think they're, they're, I think they're class twos as well. And, and like you were saying, I think it has to do with permanence in the body, kind of like dentistry, right? Like what like a hygienist can do versus what a dentist can do has to do with like permanent change. Exactly. Um, and so the, uh, but there, there's plenty of portable two pads out there on the market. Like if it's on my website, it's got an FDA number. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, risk a federal lawsuit over selling a product that doesn't have an FDA number. And that brings us exactly to the question I was going to ask. So all of these new products that are coming out, A, how, do, how does a dentist look at it and say, yes, this is a FDA certified device um, versus evidently there's some that are FDA cleared versus FDA certified? You know, I, I class twos are cleared, I believe. And because it, it comes down to a 510K. Even for you guys, and you manufacture mm. this stuff. Oh yeah, we 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 hired a consulting company that does nothing but consult on getting devices through the FDA. It's and so as a dentist, if I was if I'm an in in customer, and I purchased your sensor, let's say right. your um, uh, I don't know, uh, let's call you Sunsea. Like there's perhaps there's a company called Sunsea. Yeah, that sells dental products and Sunsea dental sensor. I buy it and it, it's it's cleared. In the, in the, in the uh, European Union, EU cleared, yeah. cleared through the FDA in the United States. Do I have any legal culpability as the dentist end user if I'm using that? I actually think you're the only one with legal culpability. Like, I think I can, it, it, my understanding of the law is basically, so the company that is, okay, so if I list a product and I tell you it has an FDA number, I tell you it's cleared for medical use and then you use it, then we're both culpable. Right. But like, like, so what happens with some of these other products is they never really put that it's intended, it's intended use. Right. And, um, so who's the, the doctor is probably the most culpable person in the whole mathematics of that situation. Right. For like guys, if you're for once for once, you were right to be afraid. Yeah. Really afraid. I mean, you know, so hand pieces, right. Hand pieces are very expensive. Um, you know, this came up with me and a, a close friend of mine. And uh, they were uh, using an off-brand handpiece because, uh, you know, the brand they use is like $800. Exactly. And I asked them, I was like, well, I was like, you should do an FDA device search because you can just do that. It's free. It's on their website. And I was like, find out if this has an FDA number. And they're like, why? It works. It works great. And I was like, well, here's the thing is, I was like, you do $70,000 cases, this particular person, like, right? Mm -hmm. And... I'm like, so in about half your patients are Sue happy because they're really wealthy. <laughs> like anything goes, oh, that shade isn't what I agreed to. Be like, yeah, it's, it's, this is, we went over it 95 times. You had to sign a legal document. This is the shade you wanted, this right? This is a picture of your tooth. This is a picture of you signing the consent. Right, exactly. So it's, for me, it's not about like, I don't think anyone's ever going to come into your office and inspect your devices. Right. What I see happening is on the day someone decides to sue, you know, over something that 
you know, it's probably not your fault. Probably has nothing to do with like you, you do a restoration and five days later, the person's hip breaks and somehow they're relating that to the anesthesia during your process or something, you know? And when that lawyer comes looking and they have the capability to do, to get disclosure. And if they find, you know, they find you used anything that wasn't legal, you know, I think that's where you're now suddenly in this boat of you just lost. And th- those are class twos as well, aren't they? Hand pieces. Yeah, I would think so because you're permanent change. Um, and, but it's not in the mouth. Like the hand piece itself isn't in the mouth, but it's a part of a process. Look, it is. It is in the mouth. Well, yeah, you're right. It is. Unless, it's in the oral cavity. In, lab, in which case, it wouldn't be a class two. You can use a Dremel tool in the lab. It's right. When it comes into the operator and it, it passes that gate right there. That's whenever you start having to worry about, FD, about FDA. It's when it goes in the body. Oh, I'm sure you're on, you know, you're on Facebook and stuff and dental groups and stuff. And very often, is that that, um, it, it's, it's this thing on the internet. Um, I think it, it has something to do with like, you're if supposed you can to say intrawebs, Sean, you know that. Yeah, there's, <laughs> it's a series of tubes and they're connected. Um, so <laughs> the, anyway, so, you know, I see very often doctors being like, oh, well, how come this same unit that's used for nail salons is so much more expensive for us? Be like, well, all right, man, you want to, if you want to just agree to buy 5,000 units from me as a big buying group, and we'll both go through the $400,000 FDA process on it, I'll give you whatever price we can both afford, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, I mean, the FDA is absurd. You know, you have to get FDA clear... So I don't know if Dennis realizes this, but half the products you buy, you could buy the exact same product under about six other names. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the new DEXA sensor is manufactured by E2V. E2V oh, makes the- It used to be, um, the Gendex 750 used to be the same thing as the, as the DEXAs. So they yeah. changed manufacturers. Yeah, the Gen- so, the, so yeah, that's true. Gendex 700, or oh, GXS, 100. sorry, the GXS 700s and the DEXAs Platinum Right. Those were all identical sensors in different sizes. Right. Um, and they were all manufactured by Fairchild Imaging and um, for DEXAs. And my understanding the DEXAs Titanium now, uh, which we've already had one in for repair. What's that? that oh, the, the Ergo? The Ergo? No, that's the Ergo. <laughs> which, by the way, it's only flexible if you consider that if you put a jelly cover on your phone, your phone is now flexible. So uh, they released two new sensors, right? Ergo and titanium. This is the new DEXAS sensors. Okay. Um, They are the same image resolution as the platinum. The same pixel size for the sensor. So, you know, you're familiar with megapixels. It's the same megapixels. Um, They didn't change the scintillator material. So if you don't change the scintillator and you didn't change the megapixels, you're probably getting the same image quality. Um, And they're using... Titanium now... Well, it is titanium, you but know, it's, it's not, it's plastic. It's not even, so, I mean, they went, from, they went from platinum to titanium. I mean, you usually you want to go up, right? Right. They were just, you know what? They shot too high to begin with, and That's they it. thought, they thought the uh, Dexas diamond was too alliterative, so they were just like, there you go. We got to go with, you know, what they were, you know what they were trying, you know what the point of titanium I can't believe is. you just made a joke about alliteration on my podcast. <laughs> go ahead. Well, this is, titan- why like, this is why I enjoy talking to you. 
titanium is supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to make you believe that the sensor is more durable. It's the same thickness of housing that was on the platinum. It's the same sensor. They they did one of these reflection groups and they said, hey, which one of these sounds like you couldn't break it? Right. Titanium sounded really good. I would have gone with tungsten, personally. Yeah, but it requires some material science knowledge. Right. Now, I, I don't have a lot of room to talk. I mean, the name of the, my company is Sodium Dental, and we got the name Sodium from the periodic table because cobalt sounded too aggressive ah. in our personal opinion. Uh, we literally, uh, all the other dental companies out there that like were small independent technology companies, their names are literally like exactly what they do. It'd be like if your dental office was called Dental Office or like We Fix Teeth. Right. And that's, which I think would be a great name for a dental office. I, I thought so, you picked sodium off the periodic table so that whenever people could ask you questions, you'd just say not applicable. Right. It's just, that's right. I get that. I get that. Uh, you, you don't get a lot of periodic table jokes. No, you, no. you know, and they're, they're good when they <laughs> No one out. is going to watch this episode now, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess that's like, that's like my home life. No, my wife isn't listening either. So, you know, that's, that's pretty clear. Just cut that out so I can go home tonight. Um, <laughs> so, okay, we've talked about, we've, you know, I'll tell you engineering jokes later off the air. Uh, so we have talked about um, the sensors themselves. We've talked yeah. about the actual um, x-ray heads, the, the, tube, the tubes that actually emit x-rays. And um, now that brings us to, um, to intraoral cameras, which is another area that you know about. So talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, intraoral cameras. Um, you know, first of all, uh, I guess you got to, you know, the big, the big elephant in the room is, okay, there's a camera out there and it's 300 bucks a pop. There's also cameras. dollar camera on eBay. Yeah. And there's cameras being sold, um, you know, like cameras being sold by independent companies like, like mine, we're, we're in the thousand to $2,000 price range. I was going to say my, I have three $1,500 cameras, all three of which are broken. Ooh, yeah, we can we'll work. Uh, Do you repair the special life yet? Uh, yeah, sometimes it's a. Uh, no. Is it the? Yeah, is it the lens? Yeah, yeah, the lens breaks on this. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's not a great uh, camera to begin with, anyway. Uh, at least so far as resolution goes. Now, uh, the the cool features it has are nice, but you know, the resolution sucks. Uh, you know, and, and actually, uh, you you're right. The resolution on intro cameras, like, so th- when you look at like a Digidoc or now see Digidoc, I, I know Dave Wilson who right. owns Digidoc and I can tell you he cares about his cameras. Like they, they spend money on engineering his, he puts Carl Zeiss lenses in the photo channel. So in his cameras, instead of, well, I think the new ones, they've moved this around. But back in the day, this, the actual sensor itself, like the, you know, the CMOS sensor, it was in like the handpiece down in the barrel. And then they would have basically like a... Uh, is, that, is that so they can handle FOV issues? It was, yeah. Well, it was, yeah, it was literally because it was the, they needed a big enough space to yeah, fit FOV. the sense. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. And, um, and the electronics themselves used to be bigger. For you know, now you see the camera on the back of your phone's tiny, right? And like, I was going to ask you about that. Okay, you look at like the new iPhone 11, right? Yeah. And it's got I don't know what a 20 megapixel camera or some craziness, and it it's got this new lens so that you have either infinite focus or finite focus, where you're like in a macro mode right up against them. Right. 
why is that technology not jumping over, Sean? Uh, this is so it's, it's once again, it's, it's a development process. So it's like, so you look at your $300 camera doesn't have any of that technology, right? The right. $300 camera is it's got a CMOS the, on the tip of it. You do yeah. like this and hope that it focuses. Right. It's a, it's a third, it's like a third inch CMOS sensor out of a security, cam, out of an old security camera, out of a security camera you wouldn't have in your office. And that's why it's only in focus at one spot, right? Like it can't focus. Like you have to, you, you move it. We call it's those. The dome sensor is what it is basically. Yeah. It's you guys the fixed smart sensors. Right, right. It's the fixed field of view, right? right? And then like all of our cameras, they're all, I mean, they're, they're 720p, which is not something that I love, but there's a trade-off there. You get smaller image files. So if you're going to try and take 25 pictures, if you're taking individual pictures of teeth, you know, you're at, so at, at that megapixel of sensor, you get smaller image files. Uh, you can get live video out of it so you can see the live video. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, Absolutely. Sensors have come really far and what, what it would take is incentive. And there's no, the only reason why you don't have a camera as good as your iPhone available as an intro camera mm-hmm. is because there's zero incentive for someone like the incentive has to be for shine, right? Not for a camera manufacturer. Right. Cause like if Claris wanted to go make that camera, shine's still going to want to buy it for whatever they're buying the current Claris camera at, right? So like the manufacturer doesn't have any price incentive. They're going to sell X number of units. Well, Sean, and, what about small manufacturers? You know where yeah. I'm going here, buddy. Yeah, like, like us, right? And that's- I want, I want my, my co-branded Apple intraoral camera with my name on it next week. Let's go. You know, hey, that would be, that would be awesome. And the, the, I, like we're, we're in the process of developing a new digital x-ray sensor right now. Um, that a new new is, one, I, yeah, a new new one just came out with that's so good. But I know, well, well, because the one we just came out with it was done in 2016, it takes so like you're a year trying and to a half. Came out with yeah. sucks now, Sean. I mean, you've been telling me how amazing it is, it's equally as good as everything else on the as <laughs> all of our competitors. Well, you crap, man. No, no, it's it's legit. So tell me about the new one, though. Well, the, the new one will, uh, so right now the pipeline problem is what converts the x-rays because we don't have, we don't use direct x-ray uh, sensors in dental. There's a lot of reasons, um, but we don't use them. But, and um, so we use what's called, we use indirect. So literally the sensor captures a regular picture, like, okay. but you use a scintillating material to turn x-rays into visible light. Um, so the, right now the sensors are like 1.7 megapixel. They're just big. They're big, but there's not very many pixels. It's why when you blow up your x-rays, they look terrible. Okay. So Um, the geek geek in me needs to know. Okay. So your scanlating material, I'm assuming it's because whenever you get Compton scatter off the teeth, there isn't a finite enough actual direct x-ray sensor that you can you can uh, determine where that x-ray is coming from. And so the scantillation material has a, has a threshold. And so enough x-rays have to hit it to make it actually fluoresce. Is it something to that order? Well, it's like, um, and if I'm similar, it's okay. Cause I really want to know, cause this, this is intriguing to me. It's so, so your, your x-ray sources are very good. Like high energy x-rays are a great method to make a high resolution image. So your source 
is great. You know, we could make a much higher resolution image and stick to x-rays. We don't have to change that source. And what happens though, is it's like, so that scintillating material, right? It like converts x-rays into visible light. Right. And what that material is made of is a uh, cesium iodide. Unless you have a really terrible sensor, then it's galadium iodide. Um, but cesium iodide, so you can, how you make cesium iodide, like, so let's just say like, uh, let's say you, you had a, you had a, a projector mm-hmm. and you're trying to project onto a screen. Um, and then I put like a Carl Zeiss red piece of glass lens in front of it. Okay. You're going to see very clearly the movie you were trying to project. It's just all going to be red now. Right. Now, on the other hand, instead of that red piece of glass, I just go outside and I find the most translucent piece of red plastic I can pick up off the ground. Now I put that in front of the projector. The video quality on the wall obviously is much worse. Well, unfortunately, in digital x-ray technology, the current cesium iodide scintillators are the cheap piece of red plastic you found on the ground. Not to say they're cheap, but just like that's the limiting. Dagger counter in my office, it wouldn't just go off for the x-ray source. It'd be going off for my sensor as well. Oh, no, no. I guess the iodide fixes that, doesn't it? No, the cesium iodide, what it does is so like the x-rays that pass through the teeth. It's a little radioactive, isn't it? By itself. Mm, You know, I don't know. I I think it I think, I don't, I don't think it would be. Um, I'll look it up later. (laughs) All right. Yeah, no, I I don't think it is. um, it, it's more like it's, it's, so it's a crystal and it's just that when it, it's a crystal that interferes in the path of x-rays and when it interferes in that path, it changes the frequency of the light wave and brings it into a visible spectrum that a sensor can see. It's just that it doesn't do it very clearly right now. Right. So right. there's distortion that takes place on that level. So they haven't had any desire to make. So it's like you're taking a picture of a printed piece of paper, Right. Right. Whatever resolution you printed the picture at, it doesn't matter if you use a 80 megapixel professional camera to take a picture of your terribly printed picture. If or if you're, you're use, doing, if you're using a dot matrix printer right. to print it. <laughs> so that, that's the problem. So, so our next that sensor... Was, that was for you, man. I, I like it. I, I, can, I can hear it in my head as you say it. I hear... Are you, are you old enough to know what a daisy wheel is? A daisy wheel? Is that, is that, was that the like feeders on the edge of the paper? It had this ball. Yeah. And on the ball, it had like this little robotic arm thing that would move it. And the ball had every letter and every symbol on it. It was oh, I've never seen that. Whenever it, would, whenever it would tap, it'd go tick, 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 tick. Instead of eat, it was tick, 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 tick. Sounded like someone was doing Morse code or something. And it would take forever to print a page. We're talking like a minute and a half, two minutes for a page. But it was so much faster than typewriters. Oh, my God. That, yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know. I've never seen that. Look up Daisy Wheel whenever you get off of here. I will. I will. I will. That's how I'm going to spend my afternoon. It's just me. Uh, <laughs> Got to know gotta, all this old stuff. I gotta, anyway, sorry. I, yet again, I pulled you off topic. So when you're printing with a crappy printer, it doesn't matter how good of a camera you got. Right, exactly. So, so our next sensor, we're going to solve the crappy printer problem, basically. Okay. And I'm, I'm so, like, 
why don't you go ahead and disclose all of your, um, your intellectual property right here? Yeah, uh, let me go over uh, the company that manufactures some of the parts we need to do this. <laughs> I, I've got some design pictures in the back would, too. Would you, you mind are... give me a favor? Send send over some. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> send you over some ideas. Uh, you know, but it's interesting because in dental sensors, what when you ask about resolution, they tell you what line pairs per millimeter, right? Right. Okay. Well, that number they give you. They, you know, theoretical, they give you a, yeah, they give you this theoretical number. Well, that is just however small the pixel of the sensor is that they're using. Uh, that determines that number. But the reality is, is like, if you throw like a phantom on like a Dexas Platinum and you try and actually find out the real line pairs per millimeter, this is why you're never going, they never you never see like 10 sensors get together and have like a really? line pair per millimeter competition. You and, I, you and I know what a phantom is, but probably most of our listeners don't. So go ahead. And uh, okay. So um, a phantom in this particular type of phantom I'm talking about is, so a phantom in general is just anything that uh, creates an image when you take an x-ray of it. Right. So like, you Reliable know, Reliable known image. Right. It's like a, so it's kind of like, you know, you, you, if you, if you x-ray, a five millimeter stainless steel ball so that you know what five millimeters is on your film. That's a phantom of sorts. So like the phantoms I'm talking about are you take like a piece of gold and you mill lines into it that are, so if you wanted to know if you could see an x-ray that was 25 line pairs, what you'd have to do is mill a line in a piece of gold that was one fiftieth of a millimeter wide. And then next to it would be a little line of gold, one fiftieth of a millimeter wide. And then maybe one more hole that's one fiftieth of a millimeter wide. Then you take an x-ray of that. And if you can determine the hole from the bar from the hole, instead of just seeing a gray bar, then, then you're determining, you know, that would be a way of measuring that. Um, when I do... Your x-rays are more accurate, folks. Right. Yeah, it determines how small of an object you can accurately determine. Um, so right now, where's our industry, industry standard? Now that they know what that means, where's our industry standard? Uh, measured in reality, mm -hmm. I would say 12. Okay. So, and what, you, what are you aiming at with this new sensor? I want to be at somewhere around 34 actual measurability. And in tests, we've seen, in tests, our, our limiting factor was our sensor, which is crazy. So like in tests, we've seen clearly 25. Okay. And that, that's also, by the way, the most expensive phantom I have right now. So, um, I mean, if I showed you, you know, I actually, I mean, on our website, like we have, I, I did this like blog called line pairs per millimeter. I'm sure three people might've seen it like my mom or something. Um, but I, I watched that and I'm a huge geek, but now that I know <laughs> I'm going to go and look it up. And I just, I, 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 we took, we used our fluke phantom. It goes up to 20 line pairs per millimeter. And we took x-rays on it with several different manufacturers of sensors. And when you look at it, you can see like you've, you've got to zoom in and really struggle and kind of lie to yourself a little bit to even think like you're seeing 16 line pairs per millimeter. Um, you know, and you know, I mean, it's not that, and my argument on the other side of my own self would be, obviously you're not drilling anything at, one sixteenth of a millimeter. So it doesn't matter if you can see that clearly, but that's patient of error. You know, okay. So here's how I look at it and, or at least how I think, and you can correct me if I'm just completely smoking crack here, but all right, I've got a prep of a tooth. I'm going to use PVS. 
I'm going to take an impression of that prep. Then I'm going to pour it up in stone. And then some guy is going to bring it into the lab and he's going to trim it. And then he's going to make a crown. Okay, so how many levels of error and error magnification are in that process? That's why I do direct digital scanning of everything I do. Because I'm cutting out not my inability to make a great prep, um, but rather the magnification of errors. I'm still going to make errors, but those errors won't be magnified by my process. Am I, am I completely smoking crack on that or is that pretty No, much you're absolutely correct. And that's how I view it. It's like uh, that Da Vinci surgery machine, right? Like it can move like probably like a million times a smaller movement than you ever need to cut, but it allows you as a doctor to move slower right. and smoother. And the fact that it can stop, you know, 500 times sooner than you even need it to just means you have a degree of error in there. And that's what, that's what I'd like to see. And, you know, cause uh, when I talk to dentists, they tell me like digital X, they tell me x-rays in general, they feel are only about 60% reliable as to what they're actually going to find in the mouth. Right. And, you know, and in all honesty, what we find is, um, we use a lot of tools and techniques. Uh, really, most of them revolve around a histogram, which I, I know probably some of my listeners are going to understand. Um, but all of, all of our caries indication software, all that AI stuff, really it's not AI, it's just the application of a very specific histogram segment on top of an image. And, and so that in and of itself is error magnification because right. it has to make a call at some point. And so what we're talking about doing here, if I'm not mistaken, is by, by making a, a, far more, um, a far more exacting image, when we magnify that image, our errors are, 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 are going to be magnified as well, but there's less error there. There's right. less inherent error in the image itself to be magnified. Right. It's like if you could am start I, am, up, I, am, I, am I in the ballpark there? That's just kind I, of how I think about it. I think so, absolutely. Because it's like if you're working with you know, like let's say you're trying, you know, cause right. If you're trying to cut a board and you only need it accurate to an eighth of an inch, you wouldn't want a ruler that starts at an eighth of an inch. Right. You'd want a ruler that at least goes down to a 16th. So right? now you're, you, did you, did you use that specific example because you remembered my life story? Hey, carpentry. I, I used to own a remodeling company and I did a lot of trim carpentry. And whenever I would do bookcases or whenever I was doing molding, instead of actually using a, a, a tape measure. I would use a tape measure alongside a millimeter ruler. And then whenever I made my lines, I would use a razor blade to make my line because I knew that the kerf of the blade, the width of the blade, if I cut exactly on the edge of that line, it would cause a natural un, not non-splintered area because the right. kerf up. And it would also be a very, very fine cut because a pencil, as you use it, that edge gets wider and wider and wider throughout the day. And so your measurements are less and less exacting. I don't know why I became a dentist. <laughs> Just a little neurotic for detail, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar there. Uh, you, you want to, you want to make sure again, less magnification of error. Right. Also, I think if dentists are going to keep paying the same amount for the sensors, they might as well they, be getting better and better because R and D costs have already been eaten up. Yeah. They, I mean, I think you, if I tried to, you know, if you buy an iPhone today, or for a thousand dollars, you're like, yeah, I got a better iPhone than the iPhone one. But in dental right now, what 
supply houses are selling is they're just still selling you the iPhone one for $10,000. Right. And it's, it's crazy. It's, you know, it shouldn't, and you know, but it's a huge risk. I mean, I can tell you right now that the, the design and the engineering, the interest from, uh, you know, obviously we have to work with like sensor manufacturing facilities, right? I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go get my own chip setter. You know, I mean, I'm not going to start a 500 million. I mean, unless every dentist in the country wants to get in on this, we can start hey. a company. You can get your sensors at a deal. Um, but, uh, you know, we might have to talk about that. If, if yeah. I, how many people would I have to, how many people would I have to be getting together who are interested in getting a new sensor developed that's better than anything that's ever existed? How much would they each have to put in to cover the R and D costs and to and get a sensor get a free sensor afterwards, but you get to own the intellectual property. Or they uh, get a small sliver of the company and you own 51%. We'll talk about that later. You know, I, I think you said the wrong thing to the wrong person. No, no. I mean, I think it's a great, actually, I, I've, I've always been curious as to why, why are, why isn't that already the standard? Like, why isn't there a dental buyers group that just works with someone like us? We'll, we'll directly OEM you a sensor. So you guys would actually be interested in, because you can do, what is it, a 510K, is it a 510K C? That's the one yeah, yeah. Really the same. So you, once you already developed one sensor, as long as it's just a, an iteration or a yeah. change, it's easier and easier to get that, that IP registered, right? Yeah, about, I mean, six, six months. Six months you could probably be to market. Well, guys, um, you heard it here first. The business of dentistry is going to combine with sodium dental, and we're going to develop all of the products you've ever wanted. You just have to all actually put your money where your mouth is. Absolutely. You know, the biggest, the biggest cost for us as a company, whenever, whenever anyone asks me why are dental products so expensive, it's because dentists are so hard to talk to. Like, not like communicate. I mean, so hard to physically reach. There's so many. I, we have trouble reaching our own customers when they want something sometimes like, like they'll send us in a sensor for a repair that they need back right away. And we're just trying to send them the estimate, you know, cause we send an estimate before we repair. Right. And we'll, we call every day. We email the estimate. We call after we, this is how often it happens. We have a policy in place that after a month we send a certified letter. Oh goodness. That, that actually, um, that, that made me think of something. Do you, do you remember the movie broken arrow? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good movie. I don't know what disturbs me more. The fact that you lost a nuclear missile or that you have a protocol in place with a code name because it happens that often. <laughs> uh, I, great lines. We, had to, we had to include uh, a part of our contract that says if we have your sensor for over a year, we're going to dispose of it because we were just warehousing people's sensors. They sent in for repair and we would try and I had, I had an office call us back 13 months after they sent a sensor in for repair. And at first, they're very mad. Then I go through their customer notes, and I was like, we have called you 57 times. And we have sent 57 emails, and we've sent five registered letters uh, to your office, just with your estimate, you know, no, no BS. My suggestion is that you agree to our $500 repair and also fire your front desk. <laughs> I was just, and that piece, of, that piece of advice is free. <laughs> just get rid of that girl. It's always so mind-boggling too, because we'll, uh, you know, we'll give them a list of names. It's like here's all the people that said they were going to give you a message. You know, it's like, you know, because it, it, it's 
it's not funny that that happens to them, but it's also like that sometimes the dental office can be so disconnected and I get it. They don't want to be sold to, but at the same time, that's why shine gets to own you. Absolutely. They They get to own you because you, you won't expose yourself to other, you won't, you won't walk by a trade show booth. You'll send your staff to walk by the trade show booth and you might possibly listen to them. Be no, like that. You know me better than that. At this oh, point. well, I know. I know you. Would. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm speaking in generalities. And now listen, we have, we have a lot of great conversations at shows and stuff. But if you think about it, like, like if I'm selling you a better product, the fact that I have to go to a dental show and spend probably close to $18,000 to talk to eight dentists. Now, I was going to say, that's not a real great ROI anymore, um, to be honest with you. I, I honestly think, and um, I, I get a lot of flack for it. I know, Den, uh, I know Glenn gets a lot of flack for it, but doing affiliate deals with people who have Facebook groups is a way better ROI for you guys because you don't pay anyone unless there's a sale, which means you don't rack up this huge marketing budget, which means your products can be less expensive for the right. dentist who are complaining that we get affiliate deals. It's, it, it's mind boggling to me. It really is, but it, it just shows that we are so stuck in our little world of the way our practice runs we're very isolated and that's the whole reason that we do these things, these podcasts and you know, these Facebook pages and things like that so that people can actually meet people like you and say, Oh, there's a real person who runs this company. And now I, I, you know, and I love it. And obviously like, Hey, I mean, I, I want to keep my employees employed. I want to keep getting to do what I love doing. I like making new things. Um, we want to make a new camera. We want to make, we we're definitely making the next new sensor, but you know, so then in working with groups is this is something obviously we're, this is what we're trying to do now. And the, there's this, there's also obviously a huge fear of change in dentistry. You know, I will have someone call us up and, you know, we fix their sensor for them, but now they're having like a, you know, maybe they're having a software problem because we do it support too. And like, you know, it's like, okay, some of these imaging softwares without naming them aren't very good. But the funny thing is, is use wise, they're almost all identical, right? So it's like, maybe they got an imaging software they kind of like, but they are, you know, you know, Hey, if you just spent $12,000 on a sensor, it breaks nine months in and they tell you it's not covered under warranty because it, it was in a mouth, you know, basically, you know, obviously you're furious with that company. And at that point we'll be like, Hey, buy our Aurora. It's less expensive. We give you a five year like accidental protection warranty. Like literally you can bite it. It's like a bumper to bumper warranty. Yeah. Yeah. Like you trip that bumper to bumper. Do they say that? (laughs) I hope they do because I want everything between my bumpers covered. Right. Right. Uh, the, you know, but like you said, we'll offer this huge warranty, right? We're just like, no. And we're serious. Like it's, it's clear in the warranty. Like you can, you can trip on the cable. You can do all this stuff. We're going to, we, we just, you can't, the only thing we don't cover is loss and intentional damage. Listen, I know most people are honest, but some people would literally cut the cord. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think some people, you know, some, very few, almost none on year four years, 364 days would be like, uh, my sensor broke and they'd come to us and like, like it'd been like melted in a microwave. <laughs> they'd be like, can I get a new one? Yeah, like you know, and like uh, assistant, and she autoclaved the whole sensor. Is that covered? And more than likely, we would probably cover it. 
really? just to keep the customer. Oh, that would be that'd be awesome. I'm gonna try that, John. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, we have gotten sensors sent in for repair that had been autoclaved. So You're kidding me. that does happen on accident. Someone sent us a Dexas for repair oh. and it was melted. And I was like, uh, so yeah, I, we're not going to be able to fix this. I am not, I'm not one of these choleric dentists. I don't throw things. I don't scream. I, I use disappointment. Like if I'm really upset about something, they'll know. I'll look at them and go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. That that does more than screaming and yelling to me. But I think so. The only time I've ever like I didn't even really technically throw it, I just dropped it. I had a new assistant, um, whenever I was brand new associate, I had just bought this several thousand dollar endo machine. And it was like this auto reversing, auto apex locating. This was back in 2012. So you imagine the technology wasn't really there yet. And this was a top of the line one. And so she comes to me and she says, all right, Dr. Huffpower, um, your first thing today is a root canal on number 19, and I autoclaved your motor for you. <laughs> and what she autoclaved was in the entire, she autoclaved the handpiece, the electric motor that is attached to the actual computer, and the computer itself. And I just, I, like, literally, I choked up, like, actual tears, and I just... I said, I can't talk to you right now. And I just I dropped it and I walked out. <laughs> and I told the front desk to cancel the rest of my day. I was like, I'm going to kill this woman. <laughs> um, she was very, very sweet, but very, very dumb. You know, you see, we never see that aspect of it. No. The aspect we see is the doctor trying to pretend like that's not what happened. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, because like, you know, we repaired a sensor nine months prior right and like uh it's still maybe we sold a one-year warranty with the repair so still under warranty we got this one sensor in and literally the cable had been pulled completely out of the head the cable's no longer attached to the sensor at all and have you ever run over an extension cord with a vacuum cleaner you know exactly what that looks like right exactly it is there's you know the, the melted smear yeah and the coating's like rubbed off but mm -hmm. like every three inches or whatever. And so we've got this cable and I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and call him. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I told him, I was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to cover this under warranty. But the only way I'm willing to do it is if you just go ahead and admit that someone vacuumed, <laughs> vacuumed up this sensor. I was like, that's because awesome. the repair submission said sensor suddenly stopped working. And oh. I was like, Oh, I'm sure it did. I'm certain. <laughs> it took a while. He thought I was like trying to trick him. And I was like, no, okay, you can record the conversation. I'm telling you, uh, we're going we're gonna to repair this one. But you, you just have to tell me. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast. Your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.